You're listening to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast, hosted by Dr. Bill Goodnight and Dr. Chris Robinson. Each month, we take an in-depth look at a paper published in the American Journal of Perinatology. Today, we're fortunate to have Dr. Alariza Sham Shiraz from the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, Baylor College of Medicine, Texas Children's Hospital, on behalf of the co-authors to discuss their study, Short-Term Neonatal Outcomes in Diamniotic Twin Pregnancies Delivered After 32 Weeks and Indications of Late Preterm Deliveries. Preterm birth, defined as delivery prior to 37 weeks gestational age, complicates 11 to 12 percent of all pregnancies in the United States. Increased attention has been given to the risk of prematurity-related complications following preterm birth, especially in moderate preterm birth, defined as 32 to 33 weeks, six days estimated gestational age, and late preterm birth, defined as 34 weeks to 36 weeks, six days gestational age. Twin pregnancies carry increased risks of spontaneous preterm birth as well as indicated late preterm birth due to perceived increased perinatal risks in twin pregnancy. Currently, there remains a lack of consensus as to the ideal gestational age for twin delivery to minimize the risk of stillbirth and late pregnancy morbidity while minimizing the risk of late preterm morbidity. The objectives of this study were thus to determine the risk of prematurity-related complications in diamniotic twin pregnancies among those delivered moderate preterm birth and late preterm birth compared to delivery after 37 weeks. In addition, the investigators sought to determine the rate of elective versus indicated late preterm birth among this cohort of diamniotic dichorionic twin pregnancies. This study is a retrospective cohort of dichorionic twin pregnancies with two live-born neonates delivered after 32 weeks, zero days, estimated gestational age, and without fetal anomalies or RH alloimmunization. The primary outcomes included composite respiratory morbidity and a composite non-respiratory adverse neonatal outcome. In addition, deliveries in the late preterm birth period were described as spontaneous which included indications such as preterm labor and preterm premature rupture of membranes, or iatrogenic. The iatrogenic deliveries were further classified as evidence-based if the indication for delivery was based on recognized delivery indications, such as severe preeclampsia or non-reassuring fetal status, or elective in the absence of such criteria. Overall, 747 twin neonates were included in this study. 22.7% delivered moderate preterm birth, 32.1% delivered late preterm birth, and 15.9% delivered at term. Respiratory and non-respiratory morbidity were greater in the moderate preterm birth and late preterm birth compared to delivery after 37 weeks. Rates of respiratory complications were 17% and 8.5% in the moderate preterm birth and late preterm birth compared to 0.5% at term. Similarly, the rates of non-respiratory morbidity were 10% and 3.9% in the moderate preterm birth and late preterm birth groups, respectively, compared to term, which was 1%. In the late preterm birth group, 
63.6% were the result of preterm premature rupture of membranes or preterm labor, while 36.4% were iatrogenic. Of the iatrogenic indications, 66.6% did not meet the investigator's criteria for evidence-based indications for delivery, and thus, of the late preterm birth group, 24.2% deliveries were defined as elective. These deliveries all occurred between 36 weeks, zero days, and 36 weeks, six days, estimated gestational age. In this subset, there was no difference in the rate of adverse neonatal outcomes between the evidence-based and elective deliveries. Dr. Sam Shiraz, can you describe the motivation behind this study? Yeah, the motivation started from when I went to the SMFM meeting on 2009. And there was a, one session regarding the debate of can we really decrease the number of late preterm deliveries? And that is defined between 34 weeks to 36 weeks to United States. And that motivated me to come back and look at our data on the twins, patient on twins, and see what is the real indications for delivery of majority of our late preterm births that is again defined between 34 weeks to the 36 and 6 and 7 days on our twin data patients. Your study examined the neonatal complications associated with prematurity as well as the indications for delivery. Can you expand upon your main outcome measures, how you chose them, and, and why you think those are important? Sure. You know, the first step that we did is we, looking back on our twin data in the past 20 years that we had in the University of Connecticut, and uh, we divide them to the three groups. The group that are defined is a moderately preterm birth, and that is defined between 32 weeks to 33 and 6, 7 days. And then the next group is a late preterm birth that's defined between 34 weeks to the 36 and 6, and the second group are a term group. And we define that the term will be the gold standard of each group, and then we're trying to compare two different composite outcomes. The first composite outcome that we did look at it was respiratory outcome that is defined as a combination of respiratory distress and or bronchopulmonary dysplasia. And the second composite outcome that we did look at it was neonatal adverse non-respiratory outcome that was included on early onset culture-proven sepsis, necrotizing enterocolitis, retinopathy of prematurity, intraventricular hemorrhage, or preventricular locomalacia. And we significantly find out that the babies that deliver on a moderated preterm birth and late preterm birth will have significantly more composite outcome both on a respiratory and non-respiratory when compared to the term group. One of your other outcomes also looked at the indications for delivery. I think in singleton data, we feel that there is excess morbidity, maybe even up into the 37, 38-week range, given new literature. I think the debate rages in twins as to when the ideal time is to deliver to reduce some of the late preterm or early term morbidity that may be unique to twins. I wonder if you can address your variables or your stratification of the babies as to the indication for delivery. 
the indication for delivery is focused on a late preterm birth because, you know, we believe that this is the group that if we can focus it and then bring down the numbers, it can decrease the morbidity and the morbidity both on the respiratory and non-respiratory compared to the term group. And the definition that we make is the late preterm birth, we categorize them as a spontaneous birth that is called non-iatrogenic. And then we, on an iatrogenic group, we have, we you know, we divide it to the two groups that one group is the evidence-based iatrogenic and the other one is non-evidence-based. And what that means is we went back to the ACOG bulletin and then expert opinion and figure out that which group we can count it as the evidence-based. For example, if you do have a severe preeclampsia or eclampsia or health syndrome, in a late preterm, everybody say, okay, that's the time for delivery. But there's a group of the patients that cause a non-evidence phase. If you have a mild preeclampsia in the late preterm birth, that is not a truly indication for delivery and still we can wait. We categorize it to the two group and we figure out that the, a very good portion of our patients was based on a non-evidence based delivery. But also we should be very cautious of, you know, using this because, you know, as we look at the total number of the twins that are in the United States and the data, we show that the morbidity and, you know, mortality is decreasing through the entire two previous decades. Therefore, this, this is something that we need to balance it off. Early delivery can reduce some of the morbidity for the cause of the early delivery, but also we should be cautious of not pushing too much that we also increasing the mortality rate in this group of the patient. I think the time, you raise a great question regarding the time frame that your patients were selected. I think they go back to the early 90s up to today, and obviously a lot of changes in care have occurred across that timeline. Your study may not be powered to determine temporal changes in morbidity, but is that something that you've looked at in this data set? What we did is each one of those charts was reviewed by two residents and then by over but then was reviewed by one of the fellow and then we get to the to the attending to make sure that everybody's agree of the reason of the delivery. Uh, that's true, you know, in the past 20 years, some practices would change and that can be cause of delivery as 20 years ago is different from now. But the indication for delivery, we categorize them and we figure out that this is the amount of non-evidence-based group that was delivered in the past 20 years. I think it may not be answerable in this data set, but as diagnosis or neonatal care or pregnancy care changes over 20 years, meaning things like more steroids, either changes in diagnostic criteria for RDS or, or those kinds of things, less oxygen, understanding of reduction in oxygen treatment, that there may be less retinopathy or prematurity. The question is, could that influence some of the outcomes? That can affect the outcomes. But again, when you divided all the groups in different years, you will see that we didn't categorize it per, you know, each decade as to what happened when you compare it to the term to the, you know, your late preterm or moderate. But the numbers that you see the term was delivered, for example, 20 years ago, when you look at 
at that point even, you know, you see more morbidity on late preterm and moderate preterm compared to those groups. And also during this study, the, during the time of the study, of, at the beginning of the 90s, there was administration of celestone at the at the center that we did a study, that means you know, the bethamethasone was administered at that point. But again, definitely, we should, you know, we didn't look at the data and see how much of those patients, we didn't compare the administration of bethamethasone at that point for a fetal lung maturity compared to the decade after that. That's true. We can't answer those questions. What would you describe were some of the potential long-term implications for this excess morbidity that we've seen associated with moderate preterm birth and late preterm birth deliveries? Coming up with some kind of guidelines that means we as a MFM, maternal fetal medicine, we need to come up with a more strict guidelines for delivery for late preterm births on twin pregnancy and give those guidelines outside and have some kind of supervision on each one of deliveries that happen in the hospitals. I think with that strategy, maybe we can decrease the number of the late preterm, and by decreasing the number of the late preterm for non-evidence-based iatrogenic group, probably we will decrease the morbidity in this group. Right. It seemed from your study out of the late preterm birth group, that would describe about a quarter of those deliveries that might have been able to be prolonged until term. Yeah, that, that is the target group. That means, you know, if we can come up with the better guidelines for the practitioners, general OBGYN, that can maybe decrease the number of the late preterm in the future. Yes. I think one of the arguments for expectantly managing in twin pregnancies when you have a potential complication such as something you would describe as a non-evidence-based indication for delivery such as growth restriction with normal testing or preeclampsia without severe indications would be that twins are somehow different and they have less chance of late preterm morbidity and a higher chance of having complications. From your data, did you see any difference in your prematurity-related morbidity between those who were delivered electively and those who were delivered with an evidence-based indication? We tried to look at the adverse neonatal composite outcomes, but unfortunately the number is so small that we can't tell exactly you know, there was a difference. What recommendations does your study suggest for the clinical management of twin pregnancies as they approach term? As we show in the, this study, we show that the good portion of the late preterm birth are due to non-evidence-based indications. And our suggestion is from the American College of Obstetric and Gynecology and Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine coming up with some kind of better guidelines and better supervisions of the reason of late preterm birth, and that can maybe bring down the number of the non-spontaneous early delivery that counted as a non-evidence-based indication. Are you or how would you recommend a clinician use this information in patient counseling when you're talking about the last trimester of pregnancies in twin pregnancies? From our data, you know, it's also good for counseling the patient that, you know, if you have the baby earlier, 
that you know in the group of the late preterm compared to the term, you know what will be you know what is the increasing of having the respiratory problem or non-respiratory problem in the late preterm group, and also it will be helpful for for the clinicians to try to be more conservative of delivering of the patient for a non-evidence-based indication. What future directions for study does your investigation suggest? I know you mentioned potentially constructing guidelines or having evidence-based or peer review for early deliveries. Do you have other further studies in mind? Uh, what we did in my newest institution, we are trying to review each one of the late preterm deliveries for the single phone and the twin every month. And then if you're starting seeing that somebody is starting doing non-evidence-based indications delivery for both the single phone and twin, then as a committee we'll ask the physicians that what was the reason. That means you know we are making some supervision of all the different groups that are delivering a hospital to make sure that they are following the guidelines from, again, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine for the indication of delivery, especially on a late pre-temper. I think your data does support that there is excess morbidity in what a lot of practitioners feel is a relatively safer zone for twin pregnancies and that caution should be exercised in saying that morbidity is less with twins and with any indication should just move on to delivery. I think that your suggestions to critically evaluate those deliveries in that late preterm birth may help reduce some of the risks associated with that late preterm birth morbidity, especially in twins. Definitely, I might agree with you. On the singleton supervision shows, there, there will decrease of the non-evidence-based indications for delivery. Again, we don't have a, you know any kind of any data for the twin pregnancy, but again, it will be applied for twin pregnancy too. And with the supervisions and discussions and education, I believe that we can decrease this number, especially in twin. Dr. Sam Shiraz, thanks for taking the opportunity to discuss your study with us, and we wish you continued success in your future investigations. Thank you very much for your invitation. Have a great day. Thanks. That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. To find out more and to read this month's highlighted paper, go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com AMJ Perinatology. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and join us next month when we will discuss another paper from the pages of the American Journal of Perinatology.